People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Wendy Willis Baldwin is the author of The Sisters We Were, her debut novel. Together, she and her sister host the Life After Fat Pants podcast. A native of Texas, Wendy lives on a farm in New Hampshire with her husband, her dogs, and thousands of honeybees. So, Wendy, welcome to Health Gig. Thank you so much, Trisha and Doro. Thank you. I'm so grateful to be here. We're so excited about your new book, your debut novel, but we wanted to hear a little bit about you. You're a Texan who found your way to New Hampshire somehow and <laughs> how you came to write The Sisters We Were. Yeah, well, a little bit about me. I am a native Texan. I grew up in the Austin area mostly, but a little bit of Dallas, a little bit of South Texas before that. I was the daughter of a city manager who later became a lobbyist. So we did a lot of bouncing around in Texas and ultimately called Austin our home. But I tell people I grew up at the mall um, <laughs> because I always lived in like a pretty big city and I was surrounded by concrete and don't ask me how, but now I find myself almost 54 years old. I'm living on a farm on the Connecticut River. <laughs> I'm a beekeeper and I'm living in the great white North. And this is just, you know, the stuff you don't see coming. You don't? You're a beekeeper? I am. I am. Wow. How, yeah. Like how much time does that take to be a beekeeper? Well, none right now in the winter when we're <laughs> about to have like negative 50 degrees wind chill this weekend, I think. But you know, I started doing that when we lived in Virginia. We lived in Middleburg. And I just honestly, I fell into it because it was going to be an ag credit for our little farmette that we had. And I thought, oh, well, that's the smallest. They call it livestock in Virginia. Bees are considered livestock. And for me, I thought, well, great. It's the only kind of livestock requiring zero mucking of any barns or anything like that. And so I was like, I'm all in. And I started doing it. And then I went to bee school. And the more I started learning about the bees, the more obsessed I became. And ultimately, it was therapy. And I will tell you a little fun fact about me. I became like the swarm lady in Middleburg. <laughs> like people would call me when they had swarms in their bushes or in their trees or whatever. And the girl what would you do? You go out and basically you just shake it <laughs> and you get the bees and the queen to fall into a box. But it's really not hard or tricky. It's just about having the confidence and the courage and the, I guess the experience and also the right gear. Let's face it, you don't want to go in there totally sleeveless or something. But it's just you shake it and the queen falls into the box and the rest of the colony follows her. And it was another one of those things that I just didn't see myself ever doing. Yeah. What fun. Wow, that's yeah. so interesting. So when I'm not writing, yeah, that's my yeah, jam. Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> You're beekeeping, but you are a writer and I you am. have written a wonderful new book called The Sisters We Were. Tell us what was the inspiration for your book? Well, it's a very special story. I've been writing for quite a while. And this is my, as you mentioned, Dora, my first novel sold. The story behind the story is really that of my own up close and personal experience with my younger sister, who at one time at her heaviest weighed 531 pounds. And that was more than 10 years ago. She decided enough was enough. She was very close to becoming bedbound. There were all kinds of really serious limitations she was facing. 
And she made a very courageous decision to save herself. And she proceeded to lose well over 350 pounds over the course of 18 months. And she and I, as you are aware, have a podcast called the Life After Fat Pants podcast. But she's the first to tell you her life got bigger when she got smaller. And it was a beautiful thing to watch because she stepped into her personal power and found her sense of self-worth. She and I, for a variety of reasons, had gone through a period of estrangement. And when we were patching things up, I got the notion to write about a character like that, a protagonist who is battling what for my sister was a runaway food addiction. And there were reasons, very serious, um, you know, psychological reasons that so many people, not just my sister, but so many of us end up with addictions or challenges like this. And so I just thought it would be really fascinating to write a story. Originally, I was going to write it from the point of view of Ruby, the sister, who is a lot more like me. She's the character I identify with more. After talking to some editors and so on, we just decided, you know what, it's a better story when we tell it from Pearl Crenshaw's point of view. And I think they're right. You know, we don't have enough stories like this in fiction, quite frankly, where we're really highlighting the struggle and what people who are battling that level of morbid obesity are going through. Was it just you two sisters? No, we have a younger brother. And I like to tell everybody that he thinks he's the oldest. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's the baby, but he has always acted like he's, you know, a grown man, even back when he was five years old. So, you know, my sister and I, we had gone through in real life, we were both victims of child sexual abuse by an older relative who has since gone on. And neither one of us shared that with the other for many, many years wow. until we felt safe to do so. And that was well into our 20s when we finally revealed that to each other. And by then, we had each developed our own separate coping strategies. And I'd always been a writer. I had processed things from the time I was a little bitty. That way, I'd always been kind of into athletics. And so to a certain extent, I think you guys talk about wellness and health on your podcast. You know, it's a release, right? It's, right. it's a way that we cope. And for my sister, that food addiction became her solace. I watched that for the entire time we were growing up and well into adulthood. Wow. And you guys are, who was older? How, I'm how the oldest. You? So you're the, the oldest. And then she came. I'm in charge, Trisha. You're in charge. I'm in charge. <laughs> you and your brother. I, your am, brother. I, am, I am the boss of them, okay? <laughs> so you're the boss and she's the middle child or the little she sister. She is the middle child, okay. yes. My sister. little sister. Is, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. What's the age difference? Three years. Which one of you brought that up first and how did that go with regard to our abuse yes oh gosh it was such a cascade dora it was like this particular relative passed away and ultimately it felt safe for us to begin to talk about it with our parents we had wonderful parents Unlike Birdie in the book, my mom was never in prison, never incarcerated. She was a very <laughs> respectable English teacher. So I, um, you know, it is a fictional story that I wrote. Right. But yeah, in our 20s, when I basically had a cry for help to my parents, they immediately asked my siblings, has this happened to you? They were trying to get help for us. And fortunately, it had not happened to my brother, but it had happened to my sister. She'd just been quiet about it. And for a number of reasons, we didn't feel like it was something we could share because we knew our dad loved us and we suspected that he might do something dramatic if he knew that someone was hurting us. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and so yeah. as a kid, when you're reckoning with that, it's a lot of heavy stuff to think about like, oh my gosh, I can't have it be that, you know, my dad ends up in prison or something. Like we have our family and it was very difficult. You know, it just wasn't until we were in our twenties that we ultimately decided to begin to reckon with it. But my sister was 40 before she began to lose her weight. Bringing this out into the open, was writing this book therapeutic? Yeah, I think so in many ways, not just for me, but you know, my sisters talked about this as well. And it was therapeutic for her. It was a very healing thing for us to go through because, you know, when I first talked to my sister about writing the story, it was really fun. She was visiting me in Virginia and we were taking a walk on Crenshaw Road there in Middleburg, between Middleburg and Upperville. And it's right there on Goose Creek. And it was the first time as adults that she and I had been on a walk where we were able to keep pace with one another. It was huge. I mean, for the entirety of our lives, because of her size, she'd been very limited in how much walking she could even do. And so it felt very victorious when we were walking. And when I was telling her about this idea for the story, I said, you know what, I want to name the characters Pearl and Ruby, because they're gems, and they're going to discover their sense of self worth. And Crenshaw is the last name because it just happened to be the road that my sister and I were walking. And so it was just kind of a nod to that. It was a way to celebrate that. So this whole story is really a story about sisterhood and about how we're all just one decision away from a totally different life. And the part that's true is the scaffolding of the weight loss timeframe that the protagonist goes through. You've got a character who weighs 531 pounds, not to be confused with 531 pounds. My, <laughs> my husband keeps getting on to me when I say that. Anyway, um, I followed the chronology of that weight loss over 18 months to a T, exactly what it was for my sister. But everything else in the story is fiction. So when you talk about obesity, and we know it's escalating in the United States, but yet there are very few opportunities to really talk about it, but you're talking about it. Why do you think that is? You're right that we've got this obesity epidemic, which is really what it is, where you've got close to 43%, just in the US, 43% of our public is dealing with obesity. So that means everyone listening to this podcast right now either knows someone, loves someone, or is someone who is battling this issue. So you've got these facts right there on the side. And then you've got this sort of cultural emergence that's happened where we've got this body positivity movement that's happened where we want to embrace people of all shapes and sizes and sort of redefine our notions of what is beautiful. Those are not mutually exclusive ideas. I think body positivity is about doing positive things for your body. And one of those things that you can do is try to be healthy in all ways, you know, I mean, getting enough sleep, eating the right things, trying to be at a weight that keeps you healthy so that you're not putting yourself at risk for stroke and diabetes and heart disease and all of these other things. And quite frankly, so you can just live a life because let's face it, Pearl Crenshaw in The Sisters We Were is someone who is a breath away from being bedbound. She's stuck in her flesh stuck in her circumstance. And there's a reason for it. But it's only once she begins to realize, hey, I'm worth it. I don't want to die. I want to live a life. And once we see her begin to take those steps toward valuing herself, that's when things start to really open up for Pearl. And it's when, quite frankly, she and Ruby begin to have more of a relationship. 
I've said this many times, like one of the things I explore in this, and I think is fascinating, and it's been true in my life, because I was a secret keeper growing up, but our most intimate relationships that we have with people, and this is true for our spouses or siblings, whatever, every relationship kind of expands and contracts like in direct proportion to the secrets we keep, right? If I share something with you, it's an intimacy. It's a way that you've understood some element about me. So secrets are heavy. And that is sort of the overarching theme in this story. Secrets are bad. Trisha and I know a little bit about that. You can't have a relationship because there's distrust. And then, you know, you make assumptions and then it just spirals out of control. And so often people think that we keep secrets to protect others or whatever, but there's no need for secrets. I mean, definitely privacy. Privacy is a different thing than a secret. Secrets are so rooted in fear. And so like anytime we operate from a position of fear, it's sort of inherently negative. I read or I heard on your Instagram or something where you said when you proposed the book to the book agents, they were not thrilled with the premise of it. So this was really interesting. The version of this manuscript that you guys have in your hands, the sisters we were, that's the third iteration of a manuscript I started working on a few years ago. When I first went out querying agents, which is what that's called, you know, when you go out to find your agent, I got responses that were very confusing to me. And one was, and I still have this, they didn't think that a story about a 531 pound protagonist would be tasteful or something that anyone would want to read about. That really, you know, as a big sister, it hurt my feelings for my sister. I know you guys with siblings and everything, and even as sisters-in-law or whatever, it's one thing for you to say something to your sibling. It's another thing if somebody else yes. says something about your sibling. It's like, no, uh -huh. no, 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 you've broken right. the code. We don't do that. <laughs> um, That's so true. It's so true. And so that hurt my feelings a great deal. And then when I told my sister about it, it was sort of shocking. And it was ultimately the genesis for the start of the podcast that she and I developed together, the Life After Fat Pants podcast. And the name of that was actually born out of an article I'd written about my sister's dramatic weight loss years ago. And there was a picture of the two of us, and it's on the Life After Fat Pants podcast website, and you can see it where I'm in one leg and she's in another leg. And her old jeans, the, the jeans that she used to wear at her heaviest, she has kept as a trophy as a reminder of how it was back then. And so we used that like sisters standing side by side as the origin of our logo for that, which was really fun. It was just a fun way to celebrate her victory. And ultimately, what we do on that podcast is really, it's all about stories of transformation. And that's the thing about the sisters we were, the novel is that I think it resonates with so many because if you read it, it is very much a sister story. It's one of overcoming and healing. This could have easily been a story about someone whose coping mechanism was alcohol or prescription drugs or bulimia. Or the opposite, anorexia. In Correct. My, you know what I mean? Like, it's sort of the same thing, right? Right. Just, society sees one worse than the other in a way. That's right. And so it's very interesting to me that I would get those responses from a couple, not all of them, but a couple of the agents, Doro, who said, um, no, it's distasteful. And so I thought, you know what, one day this book is going to sell and I'm just going to hang on to this. And ultimately things work out the way they should because the agent I went with, Marley Russoff, it was wonderful. And she was so passionate about the story because she herself had lost a loved one due to complications from obesity. 
And so for her, it was an extremely meaningful story that she thought should get out there. And she sort of championed the whole thing and we haven't looked back. I'm even delighted to say that just in terms of the energy around the novel, the Audible version is going to be released at the end of Good. February. Oh, that's and great. if you're like me, I love an Audible. Yeah, love me an Audible. too. Because so, you can multitask, right? You can yes. do it while you're walking. And so the Audible comes out and the voice talent for that is a woman named Cassandra Campbell, who's a very famous audio voice talent. She did like Orange is the New Black and Where the Crawdads Sing and things like that. And she sent me the nicest message when she got out of the recording booth last week and she was like, look, I'm so excited about this story. And it touched me because she lost someone she loved to obesity. So I do think that there's an audience. I mean, it's too prevalent for it not to be something people care about. Back to the sister relationship. I don't have any sisters. Trisha has lots of sisters. In the book, how did Ruby and Pearl heal their broken relationship? And how does that compare to you and your sister? So in The Sisters We Were, Ruby and Pearl Crenshaw are thrust together back under the same roof. So the universe sort of conspires to push them back together. Their mother is in prison and Ruby, who suffers from anger management and impulse control issues, and you know, she's a runner and she's kind of run from the shame of having a mom in prison and she doesn't understand a lot of what's gone on with her sister, obviously. Ultimately, a temper tantrum that Ruby throws pushes her back under the same roof, and she and Pearl are left to try to figure it out. And this happens at the same time that Pearl is reckoning with her weight and trying to decide, should I go through with this bariatric surgery? My doctor says I might die if I don't, or I'll be bedbound. You know, the stakes are pretty high when the story opens. What you see is kind of what I was mentioning a little bit before, and that is that they are slowly beginning to share the heaviness of the secrets. Over time, when we do that, right, it creates empathy. They begin to see each other in a different light. They were misunderstood even to one another and their sisters. So you think, you know, two people growing up under the same roof, they've got it all figured out. But, you know, when we carry these secrets, we put walls around us. There are a number of things that happen without giving away too much in the storyline. And then, you know, as for my sister and me, it was very similar. Ultimately, we bonded over sharing truth with each other and not sort of breaking down the facade that had been our respective lives. How does she like the book? And was she an editor? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, you know, it's fun. One of the fun things when I'm looking at like the reviews from people who've read it so far, my sister wrote a lovely note in the back of the book. And when I read some of the reviews, it seems that people really like that. They call it the cherry on top of the story because it's a fun thing. Like a lot of people don't even know that this is inspired by a true story. And so when they find out at the end, they're like, oh, wow. Um, my sister was very, very helpful. First of all, she read it and read it again for sensitivity and tone also helped me a great deal with regard to just the scaffolding and the timeline and the medical details associated with what she went through. But one of the things that I like, or I, the thing I take as the biggest compliment is that she felt the process of me doing this when I would send her chapters at a time and say, hey, read this, what do you think? I think she felt really validated. And I don't think that I know that she's told people that like, it was cool for her to finally feel like she wasn't misunderstood. 
one of the reasons I created a character like Ruby, who I'm not totally ashamed to say, but I wasn't as compassionate as I should have been with my real sister in real life when she was going through this, because there was so much fear, there was so much frustration, I was worried I was going to lose her. When you love someone who's battling an addiction, no matter what it is, it's hard to watch. It's painful. And when we're afraid, we say things sometimes that I did. I just never could wrap my brain around like, why is this so hard? Why don't you just exercise and eat right? Right. Snap out of it. Yes. Snap out <laughs> of it. And that's not really how you deal with addiction. You know, I like the way this novel, The Sisters We Were, shows that process because I think a lot of people can relate to Pearl, but a lot of people identify with the rubies of the world who are like, what is your problem? Why are you like this? Why are, what, are you trying to kill yourself? What's the deal? We see Ruby begin to soften over the course of that narrative, and we see her begin to really just understand there's a lot more once you start peeling back the layers on that onion. So how did your brother factor into all of this? Well, he's read the book. He and my sister-in-law both have read the book, which is wonderful. They've been super supportive. They came to a reading I did in Texas, which was really fun. And my brother jokes that he's got to be the inspiration for the next novel I write. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know what that'll be about, but um, he was very supportive. And he always teased me, you know, he's like, Wendy, it's only a hobby till you get paid. So um, you know, I've been, I've been working away at writing and I've been on this for about 10 years exclusively just to finally get to the point where this was sold was a complete joy. Yeah. You know what I was thinking was too, like as your sister was struggling with this addiction or as in the character was in the book, they have to dig deep, right? For their own inner strength because it's really up to them to make the decision. But the role of those around them is so important. There's a cast of characters. And one of the things that Pearl has going for her is that she's someone who works in an assisted living facility taking care of people with Alzheimer's. And I love that setting because it's so ripe with content. You know, I mean, there's so many possibilities when you're in that kind of a setting. And we all know that from any visit. And also, I like it because it's one of those things that I found it very interesting to have a protagonist who seemingly has a hard time taking care of herself, but she is masterful at taking care of those around her. So she's got this sort of servant's heart. I liked the sort of paradox of that. It so happens in the novel that Pearl has a colleague, it's actually her boss, a guy named Perry, who couldn't be a more supportive sort of BFF. And if he weren't gay, she would marry him. And that's actually a line in the book. And these girls, Pearl and Ruby Crenshaw, did have, at one point, a loving family. They suffered loss. Something happened to their real dad. Their mom cared about them. Their origin was solid. And along the way, these traumas from their lives impacted them. And it's really about how we can go in these two diametrically opposed directions, even growing up under the same roof. You know, fortunately for Pearl, she has support systems in place in the book, and it's fun to watch. She has a cheering squad in the story. The movie The Whale came out, yes, right? Yes, we and, were going to bring that up. Yeah, and my sister and I actually both just saw that this week. We were comparing notes on it, and I found it to be a very profound story, and my sister found it to be you know, it's obviously well acted, well directed, you know, it's there's a lot you can say about it. They're to be commended for what they achieved. But it is a story of despair. It's not a story that offers any hope. 
it's a story about somebody who's basically killing themselves and they've just resigned themselves to it and won't seek medical attention and all of that. And so what I really like about the sisters we were is that it is a story of redemption. It is a story of healing. It's a story that puts the power back into the hands of the victims. In this case, our victim is Pearl Crenshaw. Dora, you picked out, I thought, a pretty powerful quote. Do you want to read that? This is when Pearl decides to choose her self-worth over her pain, which you talked about earlier. Some piece of me was desperate to get out from under the weight of it all so that I would no longer be defined by the sum total of all the pain and pounds I'd collected over the years. I love that. You I also love it. listening. I love listening to your voice. Read it though. It's I like, know she's got it. <laughs> I know. It's like read me a bedtime story, Doro. <laughs> it's a powerful, powerful piece of writing. There, the whole book is. But what do you hope people walk away with after reading your book? I hope they walk away with a greater sense of empathy. It's a writer's job to illuminate the human condition, whatever it is. It's just like a painter paints a landscape and interprets it one way, and writers write stories about things that happen. My hope is that it moves people in a way that creates empathy and more tolerance and understanding for people who are battling this kind of addiction. You know, I'd like to be clear that there are a number of reasons why people can end up being 531 pounds. It so happens that this character has a food addiction. It was the salve to her wound, if you will, for many, many years. But we all know in reality that there are so many different reasons for obesity. So you mentioned this is the first book published. I heard you say that at the beginning. What else have you written and what's your next project? So I'm working on my next project right now, and it's a story that I hesitate to say the working title because just like this, this title was changed by the publisher. But I'm working on a story about a woman who basically finds her true north and decides to follow the very cryptic instructions of her dad's suicide note. She goes on this big journey of self-discovery, and it's filled with fun, crazy characters, and yeah. How will you research that? This book, Sisters, we were, as you said, based on your life and your experiences in a lot of ways. For something like that, how do you research it? Or is it really your imagination? Or how do you go from A to B to C? Well, I love fiction. First of all, fiction, I find to be super liberating. Like it gives me so much room. Like some people said, well, why wasn't this a memoir or something like this? Why didn't I write it? Well, quite frankly, I don't write memoirs. I write fiction. That's my playground. It gives me so much liberty. It also allows me to kind of have a little more reflection on my characters, some of whom may be more like me or not like me without getting too close, if that makes sense. Anyway, I just find fiction to be pretty liberating. But in terms of how I research, I've got a list of, it's like life is too short and there are too many stories to write. I only pray I live long enough to write all the stories that are in my head. And some do require more research than others. I know I was working on a story, another Texas-based story, actually, one that involved the old Baker Hotel in Mineral Wells, Texas, which used to be like where Lawrence Welk and, you know, all these movie stars would go. It was the first spa in North America. Back in the day, they used to fly their airplanes there. And anyway, it was the Fort Worth before Fort Worth became Fort Worth, okay, before Cowtown happened. But that's historical fiction. So I did a tremendous amount of research on the city and the hotel. And ultimately, it's a manuscript I still need to dust off. 
That's so neat. You know who you remind me of as a writer, and Tricia will relate to this, Jody Pico. Yes. Who, who yes. takes subjects and researches and puts them in fictional stories. Well, she's my neighbor. No way. <laughs> kidding. No. I'm not kidding. And she's been wonderfully supportive of this book. And actually, a fun story on this, I will tell you. Um, this is how the universe works, okay? Years ago, when I was living in Virginia, Jody, I followed her on Twitter. I'm a big fan. I read all her books and everything. And she posted a thing saying, hey, does anyone know a neurosurgeon? I need to consult oh, a no neurosurgeon. <laughs> yeah, she said, I, I need to consult a neurosurgeon for my story I'm working on. And speaking of research, Tricia, it was her book, The Book of Two Ways. And I just happened to be up drinking my coffee. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have one. You're like, oh my God, I have one. I yeah. have one. <laughs> and this is the power of social media, right? So I immediately respond and I said, hey, Jody, I happen to be married to one. Immediately, I get my husband to help. He then kind of gives her some ideas for that aspect of her narrative, which she generously thanked him for in her acknowledgments when the book came out. <laughs> and then lo and behold, we move up here to Hanover. <laughs> And I'm finding out I've got Lauren Groff, I've got Jody Picot. I mean, we live close to where J.D. Salinger lived years ago. Wow. I mean, it's kind of a writer's paradise You're meant up to here. be there. That's, oh, that's amazing. so funny. Well, Wendy, wow. Your book is fabulous. And yes. I hope everyone will rush out and buy it because it's just an inspiring story of sisters. So thank you for sharing it with the world and for sharing it with us today. Well, thank you guys for having me. I'm so honored and grateful and I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well. <laughs>